0: Hello everybody, this is Rick Thomas and we are doing Life Over Coffee. I want to talk about depression today, despair, discouragement, something that happens to all of us and I'm sure all of us have been in that spot of at least discouragement some people. Depression is really just discouragement, disappointment that is unending. It goes on for an extended period, and that's when we get into depression. But we all find ourselves in in moments of of disappointment, discouragement, and again, if it lingers too long in our souls, it can turn into depression. And so what I want to do here is I want to offer some hope and practical help for those who are struggling with depression. Let's talk about it. Again, thank you so much for being here. I am Rick Thomas. I want to share a note uh, from a couple of folks. I saw this in my Facebook stream, and and hanging out on social media is not my thing. We are so busy in our ministry. We have a community, and of course, they get priority because they support our ministry, and so it's an integrity issue on my part, and so I have a limited amount of time. I'm not um, 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 omnipresent. Uh, and so I can't be everywhere all the time and so we we've had to make some decisions a long time ago and and social media just turned into a unidirectional platform all of those platforms and so it's not really possible for us to interact on social media I do have Sharon my executive director Uh, she does uh, make sure everything's moving along out there and everybody is playing nice but as far as me I can't spend time out there and I know sometimes people talk to me on social media, and I don't see it, I don't see it, and it's just the nature of the ministry, I only have so much time, and so I can't be out there, but I did see these two comments, one is from uh, Rebecca Bach, and the other one is from uh, Debbie Dunn, and they were responding to uh, my book, Suffering Well. And I'm going to recommend that book at the end of uh, what I'm going to share with you, because uh, it fits perfectly in any talk about depression. But Rebecca Bach said, this book changed how I view suffering It's a must-read for all Christians, and she put all in all caps. And then Debbie Dunn said, this is a very good book. Thank you. Short and simple, sweet. I like that. And so, uh, Rebecca Bach and Debbie Dunn, thank you so much for your comments that you made on Facebook uh, under a blurb that was put out there about Suffering Well, my book. Uh, By the way, Suffering Well is a hybrid. It's autobiographical, of course, and it's also a journey through the book of Job, all 42 chapters. Not every chapter, but I'm skipping the rock across the pond through the book of Job as I'm paralleling it. To my life during the darkest time of my life, which was about a decade. And I told the Lord at that time that I'm going to take copious mental notes because I don't want to forget the lessons that you are teaching me. And I was quite the failure, by the way. But I took notes, I took a lot of notes. And I, I hoped at some point, well, one, they would be able to impact me practically, that uh, my life would change and I would come out of my depressive state, uh, but also I wanted to share these ideas with others, and so 30 years afterwards... It was 1988, and so in 2018, I sat down and I wrote, Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing, Job said, The thing that I have feared has come upon me. He was hedging his bets. He was hoping that uh, something would not happen, as we read in chapter number one, but all of those things happen, and I do think that we have this, uh, some of us have this background noise in our lives of things that we don't want to happen and we all have our list and we have our priorities or things that are vital to us and we hope that those things do not happen and that thing which i have feared has come upon me and so he found himself in himself in the throes of depression despondency and of course i knew that chapter 42 he came out of it all and god flipped the narrative he turned the captivity of joseph as we see in verse 10 of chapter 42. And so it was a success story of sorts, bittersweet, of course, uh, but I wanted to learn those lessons of Job. And so I spent four years in the book of Job taking those copious notes, trying to apply being a failure most of the time. Uh, But then 30 years later, I wrote the book Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing, and suffering is God's Most Feared Blessing, and so Rebecca Rebecca Bach said, this book changed how I view suffering. It is a must-read for all Christians, and Debbie Dunn said, this is a very good book. Thank you, You two ladies. You're very welcome. Now, we have heard this many times from uh, other people, and so if if you don't have that book, I would encourage you to get it. You can find it on, on Amazon. All right, so I want to talk to you about depression because we can get to that spot, and that is the spot where I found myself, and I sat in that spot for a very long time, too long. But when discouragement comes, disappointment comes, and it begins to linger, It can turn into discouragement, and if it sits too long, then we will find ourselves in the throes of depression, and depression is a complicated problem that is the center, quite honestly, of much uh, debate within the counseling circles, and I don't believe those discussions are going to subside anytime soon. And I think those discussions can be healthy and can be profitable and can move us forward in our, in our talks about how to think about, not only think about depression, but help those who are hurting. And I trust that this resource that I'm developing here will be one of those things that will push us forward and bring more practical help to people who are genuinely struggling with uh, personal problems or relational challenges or situational difficulties. And even though those discussions go on, there are a few things that we can do to help those who are struggling with depression. Now, I trust as an added bonus that you and me, that we will learn a few ideas that will help ourselves when we find ourselves spiraling down into the dumps of despair. It happens unannounced. And though I spent a good season of my life there, it doesn't mean that I am impervious to that invitation again, unannounced, and I find myself spiraling into the dumps of despair. And so I trust as you care for others, uh, practically and biblically, uh, that it will give you hope and help. As you care for them, but also give you hope and help for your soul. The verse of scripture that I want to put out before you, it is the goal. It is in Psalm 27, verse number three. And this is how we want to think all the time. But being a realist, uh, I know that is not true. But it's good to put the goal out there. And Psalm 27, 3 is a good goal for all of us to aim toward. This is what the psalmist said. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. A synonym for confidence is trust, belief, trusting God. Of course, that is the antithesis to fear. And so the psalmist is saying, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, meaning my heart shall live in belief, trust in God. He says, though a war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Well, my friend Mabel is depressed. The weight of life weighs heavily on her soul. From her perspective, she sees no way of escape, and I know you're thinking of 2 Corinthians 10:13 right now. There is a way of escape, but not for Mabel, not how she sees things. She says she lives in a confusing, dark and dense jungle. And so it is. You see her truth is her reality. And you have to remember that when you're helping people. Sometimes we can be so fixated on the truth of God's word that we can can undercut what someone is saying to us. There's a time to reorient their thinking. I will talk about that later. But before we skip four links in the chain and undercut their thinking and dismiss what they are saying to you because their truth is not God's truth, you're really not interested in God's truth at this point. Now, don't cut that sound bite out and use it against me. But what you're really interested in is Mabel's truth, and her truth is her reality, and that's why you're interested in it, because her truth is pressing down on her. Therefore, in the beginning, your goal is to understand. But you'll probably find, though, As she feebly tries to explain what she feels on the inside, even Mabel will lose hope quickly as she slowly defaults to to her, you have to be there to understand, mantra. Sometimes that is a mantra, especially with the hopeless. They are so hopeless, they do not feel hope. And sometimes they will gaslight you and tell you that you can't help me. And they will use mantras like, well, you just have to be there to understand. You have to walk a mile in my shoes and you have not walked a mile in my shoes. Therefore, you can't help me. And so she not only feels that hopelessness, but she (laughs) Places that hopelessness on you too, and you need to be careful because you may begin to embrace her reality, and then you will have disconnected from the truth of God's Word. Now, in a way, Mabel is correct because this is her perspective, but you must not let her perspective discourage you. And as I said earlier, you can't let Mabel gaslight you from helping her lift the mental chains that have created a lethargy toward life. And so as you listen to her, you quickly realize that she does not live in the confidence of the psalmist. Though an army rise up against me, I will be confident. That is not what Mabel is saying. Her zeal is nearly gone as a besieging army of hopelessness surrounds her. It is her depression that has captivated her mind. It is her hopelessness talking back to her, that inner voice that is communicating to her. Mabel lives according to her feelings rather than the truth claims of the Word of God. But again, let me reinsert here, you want to be very careful that you don't jump two and three links of the chain and correct her because she's not living according to the truth claims of the Word of God. You've got to understand what she is saying and then patiently, compassionately, courageously, and gently bring. Her along. You could say that Mabel is an unbelieving believer, I, and I'm speaking functionally, not from an ontological perspective. Truly, she is regenerated, truly, she is seated in heavenly places but on a ground level, boots on the ground, functionally speaking, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that's what I mean by an unbelieving believer. And sometimes we can function that way in our practical day-to-day lives. And so your call to action now at this juncture is to realize that she needs you, whether you have walked a mile in her shoes or not. And as you listen to her, As you listen to her depression talking, you must hear what she cannot per- perceive. And so therefore, I-, I just want to talk a little bit about the four aspects or the four ways that you need to listen to Mabel. You need to listen to a person uh, like this. And this is a key thought for disciple-making, for counseling, if you prefer that word. I like disciple-making, discipleship a lot better. But as you listen, there are four Ways that you have to listen simultaneously. The first one, and and these are just words, you can exchange them, use synonyms if you wish, but the first one is micro-listening. Micro is what she is telling you. It's what she knows. It's her truth, her reality. And so micro-listening is like looking through a tube at her, and you're listening in a very narrow way. You're not arguing with her. You're not marginalizing her. You're not dismissing her. You're not interjecting and telling her how wrong she is. because you want to understand her but you're not only listening micro listening through a tube and hearing the words that she is saying but you're also listening to the heart because those words that come out of her mouth they find their genesis in her heart and so you're listening on two levels as you micro listen the words that she's actually saying and the heart motivations that are producing those words now that is essential if you're going to step into her story and listening to her faith, her reality, what she is believing at this moment, even though it's counter to God's Word. And so one way that you listen is what I'm calling micro-listening, and then another one is macro listen. it's the listening, it's the exercise of peripheral vision, and that now you're hearing what she does not perceive. You're hearing what she does not or is not saying. Now, this kind of listening, well, it takes wisdom. It takes insight. It takes discernment. Uh, It takes courage because you will eventually have to say some things to her that may be foreign to her. And this is where sometimes counselors and disciple makers chicken out. They don't have the courage because it's like, wow, I need to tell you something here that you're not seeing. Well, the first question is, do you see it? Unfortunately, too many disciple-makers counsel looking down a tube, and it's only micro-listening as though their truth, what that person is saying, is the gospel. But it's not, and if you only hear in such a narrow way, you will sabotage whatever help you could offer. Therefore, you listen in a micro way. You listen in a macro way with peripheral vision. And then number three, you listen pneumatically. As you ask the Spirit of God to illuminate your mind for ultimate clarity, albeit subjective. Being illuminated by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit is a subjective exercise, a subjective discipline, but the Holy Spirit is alive and well on planet Earth and we are Trinitarians and we believe that the Spirit of God engages us and turns the light on, lives inside of us, illuminates our minds, runs our minds through the Rolodex of Scripture and helps us to see with even a greater clarity. And so we're listening micro, we're listening macro, we're listening vertically as we are asking God, we are praying, dear spirit of God, help me to see what I cannot see. And then number four, ultimately, we're listening scripturally as you run these previous three aspects, because all three of them are subjective, micro, macro, and pneumatically, and so we listen scripturally as we run these previous three through the filter of God's Word, because that is the hermeneutic. It brings the interpretation that we need to the data that we are collecting. And so as you step into Mabel's story, you don't step in it like you're walking down a tube. That's part of how you want to listen, but you want to do comprehensive data gathering, so comprehensive that you are begging the Spirit of God to eliminate your mind, and you're filtering that data through God's Word. Trusting in her feelings is all that Mabel can do which is more substantive than the ambiguity of faith faith can be ambiguous while feelings feelings are palpable what is easier for you to trust that which you can feel or that which you cannot feel you see feelings are elusive but they are real and they are feelable faith is a different animal And feelings carry a lot of weight when you are in the throes of confusion. Unfortunately, too many times the weight of feelings take you down to the depths of depression, which is what happened to Mabel. And so when you begin to talk to her about the bold claims of, of Jesus Christ, I think you already know how she's going to respond She's going to talk like, well, you know, that, that has a pie-in-the-sky ring to it, but not hope for the soul. This, in Galatians 6.1, and this is where you want to be careful, Paul said this, and this is helpful. You who are spiritual, you have the Spirit, meaning Christians. You who have the Spirit, we are the only ones that are spiritual. Restore him, or in this case, restore Mabel in a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourselves lest you too be tempted because you could get frustrated uh, with Mabel because you are offering the help and the hope of God's word, but she is retorting she's coming back with a pie in the sky ring because feelings are heavier, palpable, feelable, and faith is just a little too ambiguous for me. And that's why I want to interject this little corrective. You who are spiritual should restore Mabel in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Faith is is feelable and mabel is listening through a feeling filter not a faith filter it's like trying to explain color to a colorblind man he cannot see what you see the glory of color is elusive to him though the solution is apparent to you hey can you see the beauty of the lilies in the field it is not evident to him Helping Mabel to get to the answer, which is Jesus alone, through faith alone, will require much patience and gentleness from you. She needs to know who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. Another way to say this is she needs a clear and practical understanding of the gospel. John 14, 6, you know it so well. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life for Mabel. He is the lover of her soul, the servant who came to care for Mabel, Mark 10, 45. In Hebrews 13, 5, he is her brother and friend who will never leave nor forsake Mabel. Romans 1, 16, Romans 8, 29, and 30 Christ Jesus is her power for salvation, for sanctification, and glorification for Mabel. But sadly, these truths are nothing more than echoes on the outskirts of her life. The gap between her feelings and what the Bible prescribes, that gap must shrink. No technique, or prescription can bring her out of her confusing, dark, and dense jungle. Mabel is living in an emotional state rather than faith in Christ alone. Thus, you want to help her move from a feeling orientation to a faith orientation. You see, feelings are descriptive. They are describing how she, how she feels, And they they will help. They will help to bring clarity to what is going on in her mind and heart. That's why that micro-listening is so important. As you look down that tube and hear her talk, she's going to describe her feelings. And then you listen at two levels. It will begin to unearth what is going on in her heart or in her mind. But remember, those feelings are not the solutions that provide a roadmap out of her jungle. And that's why you have to expand your peripheral vision and don't get caught up in the very trap that she is in. I would like for you to notice how her emotions are like an iceberg that points to something deeper inside of her. Now, if you're listening correctly you will hear how her feelings are describing a lack of faith in God. And so that lower level that you are unearthing as she is describing, uh, descriptive, the feelings that she is going through, one of the things that you're going to hear is a lack of faith, that confidence that the psalmist had. When he said, I will not fear, I will have confidence, you you won't hear that. In fact, you will hear fear and a lack of confidence, meaning a lack of faith in God. Mabel has a deeply rooted theological problem that needs to be addressed. And Mabel's emotions point to her unstable thought life. Now, I'm saying this aloud here, but you will not say that to her. You will think these things, you will see these things, but careful in how you bring these things to her, as Paul was saying in Galatians 6-1, with with patience and, and gentleness, a spirit of mercy. We can't jump those links in the chain with our truth claims about the goodness and power of God that can transform you. And so initially, this process will be challenging for her, and it will require learning a new way to live. It will be a workout for her mind. And the danger will be for you or me to dismiss her feelings, not realizing that her feelings are her faith at this juncture. Marginalizing her emotions will damage her faith, and I'm putting her faith in quotation marks, which is the only thing in her life. To minimize her feelings would be the equivalent of pushing her out of an airplane with no parachute. Mabel does not have your faith. She does not have your filter. Mabel is the colorblind man struggling to grasp your perspective on the glory of the lilies of the field. And when it comes to helping the depressed, feelings must not win over the Word of God. Of course, you know that. But there is no place for impatience and harshness, which are manifestations of a self-righteous heart as we're looking down on another person. Thank God I'm not like that person. We can't go there in our minds. But how you communicate this truth, the truth is feelings must not win over the Word of God. How you communicate that will make all the difference. Now, with that said, Anything other than God, anything other than God and his word cannot be trusted. Feelings and faith are not co-equal. One will lead the other. What you feel may be real to you; that will be your faith at this moment. But real feelings can deceive, and if they are not rooted in the if they are not rooted in the Word of God, and so if your oscillating emotions are your guide, you will be like a roller coaster, or as James talked about in one five to eight, that you'll be like a, a wind and a wave, and just tossed about unstable in all your ways when I feel here's an illustration when I feel like responding in anger the operative word here is feel when I feel like responding in anger to my wife I must stop halt full stop I must stop at that moment and repent of those unbiblical feelings and trust God's word because one will lead over the other if my feelings lead that I'm just going to respond in an unstable way with unrighteous anger. And then, of course, it's going to create an unstable relationship, and it will continue to spiral. But if I stop in that moment and say that my feelings are not going to lead, but God's word is... That I'm going to stop and begin a process of repenting and not giving heed to what my feelings are, are commanding me at this moment. I cannot subject my mind to, to the control of passions, choosing instead for the controlling power of God's word. Now, if I don't do this, of course, as you know, I will go off on my wife, giving her a piece of my emoting mind. And I have done that many times, regrettably. But if I learn a new way of thinking, according to the Word of God, over time and through much prayer and practice, I will yield to the controlling power of the Spirit of God who cooperates with the Word of God. But this process is what Mabel must learn to do. I said earlier, it is a workout of the mind, and no question, no doubt about it, it is. Her responses her new responses, hopefully, that you will get her there. Born out of a new belief system must rule her her mind more than her feelings. The Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, encouraged by the people of God. That is the roadmap that she needs to come out of her jungle of Depression. This challenge is a sanctification process that is not like any other struggle in which we battle. Pick your struggle. Here I'm talking about depression, but pull out depression and insert your struggle, whatever it may be. Nearly all of our problems are battles in our minds that hope to control our souls. This battle for the mind is what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 10. 3, 4, 5, and 6. He warned us about the nature of the battle. He said it this way, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. What he's saying here, though we walk in the flesh, though we are human beings and we live like human beings, we don't wage war like human beings. For the weapons of our warfare are not like human beings, but our weapons have divine power, divine power that destroy strongholds. And then he explains what these strongholds are. These strongholds are arguments. We destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. A stronghold is a a thought fortress that, that rises up and begins to take control of our minds. That is a stronghold. It is an argument and sometimes and mabel has these arguments that have risen up it has removed her confidence from her it has inserted fear into her life and is telling her to be afraid be afraid be afraid that is her stronghold but she's fighting like a human not not Uh, taking advantage of the divine weaponry that God has given us. And Paul says, we destroy those arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so there is a battle for Mabel's mind. And the questions for her are, what will she believe? Who will she trust well, where will where will she place her faith? And who is going to control her thinking? Those are just some of the questions that she'll have to wrestle with. Mabel's feelings have always held sway over her. Again, they are palpable. They are feelable. but God wants to retrain her mind according to his weaponry, his divine arsenal. Her new allies are the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the community of God. These are divine weapons, not according to the flesh. Mabel's main problem becomes a matter of faith, which is a spiritual matter primarily. This is the heart of the issue. A while ago I said that ultimately is a deeply rooted theological problem. Now I'm saying it is primarily a spiritual problem, those two ideas, those two concepts are synonymous. And though there could be physical components to depression, and this is where people will argue, and there could be, I say that there could be physical components to depression, the key continues to rest in who she will ultimately trust. Let me illustrate what I'm saying here. If your goal is, is optimal health, meaning that I will only be better when I feel better. I will only be better when my health is optimal. If your goal is optimal health, meaning you can't be better until all organic complexities are resolved. If your goal is optimal health from birth to grave, no help will satisfy you. But suppose your objective is to find empowering and transforming grace for your situation, though your situation might not improve. Well, in that case, there is strength for your weaknesses, including your physical weaknesses. Too often, folks become sidetracked with never-ended discussions about the physical components of depression, which keeps them from faith's solutions If Mabel becomes sidetracked by the physical arguments that people proffer, she will be a slave to those arguments, and it will further fuel her feelable feelings that will keep her trapped and not confident in what God can do, and she'll never have a chance to change. But if she responds according to the Word of God, she can have victory regardless of the organic physical liabilities. Some people crave personal achievement, optimal health, so much that they interpret it as being healthy, whole, and problem-free. And if I can't be that, I can't be a success. That erroneous worldview is not a promise from the Word of God. Being strengthened by God while living in a body of death is a biblical promise, And this kind of biblical faith releases you from falling prey to the argument that depression is a disease and the Word of God does not speak to your struggle. The Word of God does not provide a cure to my chronic back pain, which I have and have had for years now, decades now. The Word of God does not provide a cure for that for me, but it does teach me how to have victory while debilitated. One of the things that you want to do with Mabel is to reorient her mind to God's word. Quite frankly, she needs a biblical brainwashing. Now, our culture has no qualms about brainwashing us. They gaslight us every single day. For those of you who spend too much time watching news, maybe you need to pull back just a little bit and turn the gaslight off. And so brainwashing is not a bad idea if it's a biblical brainwashing, and so The truth is that we have to choose. Do we want the secular world to brainwash us, or do we want a biblical brainwashing? God's Word is the perfect brainwashing tool, and that is what Mabel needs. And so as you care for her, you need to remind her that learning the Bible is not a magic pill. I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to read the Bible, 4.25 chapters every day. I could finish it in a year. My life will be changed. Probably not I want to give you three helpful texts. Just three, there's many more, but three helpful texts for her to begin to memorize. So a brain cleanse can begin. Now, again, these texts are just words. That's all. But if you walk her through what they mean, pray her through, pray them through with her, asking the Spirit of God to practicalize them to her mind, then you will begin to see changed. All right, so here is uh, verse number one or passage number one. It is Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3. And so if she ran across this passage doing her 4.25 chapters every day, well, she would do it, she would read it, she would check it off, and then the next day it will be something else. No, I am asking you to help her to do something entirely different. These texts are just words, that's all. But walk her through what they mean, exegete them Pray through them with her, asking the Spirit of God to make them practical, memorizing them, brainwashing, getting a a cranial cleanse, and don't move off them until it it is fully settled into her mind, creating a new argument that is more in line with the knowledge of God. Here's another one that you're familiar with, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and accept- acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then finally, another familiar think about these things. I titled this talk here, Hope and Practical Help for Those Struggling with Depression. I want to wrap up by asking you a few questions. I'll move quickly uh, so that we can wrap up. Number one, do you struggle with ongoing disappointment or depression? Close-ended, yes or no? Do you struggle with ongoing disappointment or depression? If so, what is the source of your problem? If you say organic, You'll be a victim probably forever. And so, how you answer this question will determine the solutions that you employ. Number two, how would folks describe you primarily as faith oriented or feeling oriented? If you're not sure what they would say, would you ask someone who knows you and will be honest with your question? Are you more faith oriented or feeling oriented? Number three, though there are physical components to our spiritual struggles, why is it vital to start with the spiritual things that you can change? And then number four, is God's grace not encompassing enough to help you be stable even when the physical things in your life are not improving? What does it mean to be strong in weaknesses? How are you doing that? And How do you need to change if you need to change? Number five, what issues do you have with practically applying God's Word to your life so you can be faith-driven, not feeling-driven? Perhaps it would be wise to find someone to talk about this struggle. And then finally, I want to mention, as I began my a, a book for you suffering well but I would also add to that change me those two books would be very helpful uh, if you are helping someone going through depression or some other spiritual battle uh, consider getting those two books suffering well and change me use them for yourself use them for others if we can help you please uh, jump on our website I our business model is to uh, give our product away and so our our, our articles, our podcast videos, just search, uh, search them out and you can read and benefit and you can share and bless others. You're welcome to them. They are free to you. Read, watch or listen. And I trust that you will enjoy. I trust they will bring transformation and I trust there'll be encouragement uh, to your friends. Thank you so much